One little boy's definition of a Father's Day went like this, and I quote, Well, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. Somebody else said, and I quote, A father is somebody who carries pictures where money used to be. You can laugh if you want. God is a God of order, the Bible says. And when, any, when anything is out of order, it is dysfunctional. It's dislocated. Like a shoulder that is dislocated is no longer in order. And the moment something is out of place, out of order, dislocated, there is pain, isn't there? I have never actually had a shoulder that's, gone, that's been dislocated, but I've seen people with a dislocated shoulder. And it's just a painful sight, isn't it? But so is anything and everything that is out of order is painful. And um, everything God has ever created has order the way He designed it. But everything He's ever created also reflects it. Just like marriage here on earth reflects, the husband and the wife reflects Christ in the church. But Personally, and I can't prove this out of scriptures, but personally, I view it the same way when it comes to the Trinity. The Trinity uh, represented here on earth by the family unit, like the Father, He's the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, the helper, the support. And then the Son is the one who represents and reveals the Father. And so you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit represented in the family unit. But there's something we can see more and more clearly as time goes on, and that is that the dysfunction created by disrupting the order of family units is rampant in our society. We see the effects everywhere in society. We see the effects of a broken-down family. In 1 John 5, 19, the Bible says, We know that we are of God, and the whole, fa- and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What we need to understand about this verse is that it confirms to us that the entire world, including our culture, is absolutely defenseless against satanic influence. The culture is defenseless. The culture just sways with wherever Satan wants, just sways with whatever the evil one desires. So culture follows suit. So... How does the enemy, however, how does the enemy bring such widespread dysfunction to humanity? The answer is simple. By attacking the position of the Father. If the enemy can destroy the position of Father, he has destroyed everything that exists under Father. Today I want to highlight God's plan for male fathers because, you know, these days you get female fathers, so you have to be very specific. I want to highlight God's plan for male fathers, not only because this is Father's Day, but also because there's a spiritual war against fathers. Nobody can take the place of the male father in the house. Man was made first. Woman was made after him. Man was made from the dust. Woman was made from man. God breathed into man before taking woman out of the man he breathed into. 
Man is the one who produces and carries the seed. When the man fails, everybody suffers. Eve took a bite from the apple. Nah. Eve took a bite from the fruit. We don't know what fruit it was. Nothing happened. But the man took from her, he took a bite from that same fruit. And all of humanity forever was thrown into a fallen state. Like a cancer throughout their body filled with sin. When man fails, everybody suffers. This is not a popular message. I get it. Who cares? To further explain what this war looks like is being waged, this war that is being waged against fathers and fathers-to-be. Let me give you some stats about <clears throat> how dispositioned men in our society is today. Now, men are dispositioned around the whole world, but let's just focus in on our society here in the West. Every mass shooting and every school shooting has been by a man. In New Hampshire, the, states, the state hardest hit by America's drug problem reports 73% of all deaths due to overdose were men. 73% of all deaths due to overdose, men. It is reported that currently in the U.S., 77% of all suicides, men. America also has an incarceration problem, as you know, and reports show that 90% of inmates are men. Single women now buy their homes or their own homes at twice the rate as single men do. Studies show over and over again that men are failing or falling behind in society. A study done by John Hopkins uh, University, John Hopkins University, not a Christian university, they state regarding, uh, this regarding fatherlessness, that between 1960 and today, which is what, 60 years, right? Between 1960 and today, over the last 60 years, children raised by single mothers tripled, tripled. Boys who grow up without a male father have higher rates of disciplinary problems. Not only do they have a higher rate of being undisciplined or participating in civil disobedience, they also have a much lower reading skill. Fatherless children are less likely to graduate from high school. They are less likely to graduate from college and most of all, uh, let me say, they're less likely to graduate from high school or go to high school. They're less likely to go to college or even graduate from college. At every single level, the fatherless child has a deficit. In every, let me say it differently. In every single, in every single degree of life, the child with the father is privileged. Over the child that has no father. Fatherless children are more likely to be unemployed and to live in poverty. Fatherless children get married less often, and if they do, they have higher divorce rates, says John Hopkins University. Fatherless children are far more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs. 
they are more likely to exhibit antisocial behavior and participate in civil disobedience. Fatherless children as adults are twice more likely to go to prison. There's something, there's something there. I mean, it's obvious. It's there. Facts are stubborn. They don't go away. They're there. And there's something about connecting with your earthly father that sets things back in order, makes things functional that could not have been in order or functional any other way. There is no other possible way of fixing that dysfunction with, without going back to God's design of fatherhood. The greatest crisis, the greatest crisis in national development is the absence of fathers in the home. The greatest crisis in national development is the absence of fathers in community. There's absolutely no substitute for a male father figure. A teacher is not a father. A guardian is not a father. A friend is not a father. Those are not the ones you need in order to bring a dysfunctional life and make it functional. It's not a friend you need. It is not a teacher you need. It is not a guardian you need. It is a father that you need. That is why it is impossible to attempt to redefine marriage. It is impossible to create this whole brand new um, family unit, <clears throat> modern family. If it's not biblical, it's not going to work, period. There is nothing in the Bible more important than the revelation of fatherhood. Nothing more important in the Bible or more central to the Scriptures than fatherhood. It is the absolute, absolute central theme of Scriptures. In Ephesians 3 verse 14, I don't know about you, but this happens to me often. I read through a Scripture and I kind of like just blow over it because um, I don't quite you know, grasp exactly the intent of the author. I just kind of like, well, I think Paul just needed to ramble on a little bit before he said something that mattered. Right? Are, you, are you like that too? You go like, man, he's rambling again. <laughs> I hear one of those rambling verses, and then I'm going to follow up on another one. <clears throat> but let's first start with this one. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Great. All right, Paul, what is it that you really want to say there? You see, there is something here in this original text that is not totally brought out into the English translation. The word translated family, when he says, from whom every family in heaven derives its name, the word family there is the word patria, P-A-T-R-I-A, patria. Patria is, also, is directly derived from the Greek word father, which is pater, P-A-T-E-R. We have many words in English derived from this word, including patristic, which is the word expresses the early church fathers, patristic. We also get from this word patria, the word patriarch, patriarch, okay? The father of the family, which is an absolute cuss word in today's society, the patriarchy. Uh, what Paul is saying here is, I bow my knee to the Father from whom every other father position in heaven and on earth gets its position and derives its name. Every position a father stands in 
has been ordained and affirmed by the ultimate Father, God. And He makes that position as He expresses His glory. He designed and created that position to express His glory. And behind that position there stands He, Father of all. <clears throat> so let's read that again. It says, for this reason. So you can take the word family and you can put patriarch in there or father. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every father, patriarch, in heaven and on earth derives its position and its name, its identity. It's an amazing thing that Paul actually says, I bow my knee to that father represented here. I bow my knee to that father represented right here. Paul is saying the source and the life of every family is father. And the fatherhood of all, uh, the fatherhood is derived from the fatherhood of God. If you're a father, that position was designed, created, offered, and ordained for you, affirmed by God for you to stand in it. A teacher cannot fill that position. A friend cannot fill that position. A guardian cannot fill that position. Hear me out. The government cannot fill that position ever. Father was designed by God for you in the life of your actual children. <clears throat> you see, it makes all the difference on how we view things when we understand fatherhood of God. Let me ask what is the source of all existence? What is the source of the universe? Do we know? Uh, was it this big explosion that brought everything out of nothing? Is that how it happened? Everything came out of nothing because of an accidental explosion? Nobody knows as to why. How did everything come to existence? Or could it more accurately be explained as Father? You'll be a totally different person when you grasp the fact that behind all life is the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God. When you discover the concept of fatherhood, you will discover, first and foremost, identity. And when you discover identity, you will, dis you will experience security. And when you experience security, it will in turn give you a positive motivation to do something with the life that has been given to you by that father that offers you the security through identifying with him. We are surrounded by millions of people today who lack all three of those things. They have no identity with God, with fatherhood, father God. No identity, so they grab at other identity or forms of identity. You follow what I'm saying, right? So they grab at these forms of identity that really fails them and everyone else. It is unfulfilling. It, it offers you nothing when you identify, whether it be class warfare or race warfare or gender warfare Within Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free. There is no male nor female. We are one in Christ, and He is our Father. We identify with God, our Father. Now, He becomes our identity, therefore He offers us the security because of that. You cannot find your security in a God, in a Father you don't, you don't identify with. Let me say it the opposite. You cannot find 
security in a person you do not identify with, right? And because people do not identify with God, they, find, they cannot find their security in Him. And because they cannot find their security in Him, they, they need to identify with something in order to find security. And herein lies all of what you see happen in the world today. Herein lies the root problem. God's purpose is to provide those elements, identity, security, positive motivation, through a revelation of Himself as Father. God wants to offer you identity, security, and positive motivation by, by revealing Himself to you as Father. And the primary channel of that revelation is the family unit on earth. This is God's chosen way of revealing His position as Father in your life by getting you familiar with the family unit as designed by Bible. Father. Because He's husband, He's Father. And here, this family unit, now we understand. Father is the one I identify with. He's the protector. He's the, he's the one that gives me not just protection, but also provision. I find security with Him. So God designed the family unit as the channel, channel through which He will reveal His position as Father. Many Christians have never understood the destiny of their faith. Check this out. They, they know that they have faith in Jesus Christ, and, but they don't understand the destiny of their faith. We, we stop halfway and we never arrive at the destination. Check it out in John 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus said to him, what does he say? I am the way, the, and the, yeah. And all Christians go, yeah, he is the way, the truth, and the life. But they don't go further. They don't go past that. If Jesus is the way, well then, the way to what? And we oftentimes just see him as our destination, Jesus. No, he is the way to our destination. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, fatherhood of God is the central theme, the destination, the ultimate of the Scriptures. The question here should be, if Jesus is the way, then where, where is He leading us to? A lot of people say, I'm a follower of Christ. Following Him where to? To the Father. So what is the ultimate revelation of the gospel of Christ? What is the ultimate, final conclusive revelation that Jesus Christ brings to you and I. What is that? I want to read to you uh, a portion of Scripture in John 17, verse 1 through 12. And I want to, here again, you know, for most part of my life, I would read through this, and it was almost like, there he goes again. Jesus is kind of rambling, you know, and he's kind of like speaking words that he knows needs to go in Scriptures, and so he's just trying to get them out of the way. <laughs> and it's, somehow I don't view the importance of understanding these words, so I just kind of like ran right by them. But let me read it to you. Verse 1 of John 17, he says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may be glorified in you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh 
that to all whom have given him, watch this, that to all whom you have given him, who gave who to who? <laughs> to all the people, God, you have given the Son. All right? God looked upon the earth. He selected people and He gave to His Son a spotless bride. He says, Even as you gave Him authority over all the flesh, that to all whom you have given Him, He may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom, have, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, verse 6. I have manifested your name. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. There it is again. I want to answer a question here quick. Why did God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, He is completely independent. He's not dependent. He's not codependent. He is 100% alone independent. He is the generator of life. And He is the sustainer of the life He Himself generates. From everlasting to everlasting, He needs nothing. He needs no one. This is the aseity of God. People ask, where does God come from? Well, do you realize that in our finite minds, we have to ask that question, where does something come from? Because in our understanding, everything comes from somewhere. God is un He's the uncreated creator. He was never created. He existed from eternity past to eternity future. He exists. He is the generator, the self-generator of his own life. And he sustains the life he generates. Therefore, he is the Lord of life and he has the right to delegate and issue and give life to others and breathe it into another. So here is God. My question is, why did this God create the universe? He didn't need it. Why did He create earth? He didn't need it. He created the heavens and the earth to display His glory. To display His glory. He placed His glory on display. And then in this universe, on a earth, He created a human race. So that among that human race, He could choose a perfect bride for the son He loves. This is the purpose of all things. The Bible says He created all things for His glory. The heavens, the universe, the Milky Way, earth. He created so that He could display just how great He is. Birthed a man so He could choose from humanity a bride for the, for the son whom He loves. It's an amazing thing. This is the meaning of all things. And when you read through this, you see it. He says it over and over again. Verse 6, I have manifested your name 
to the men whom you gave me out of the world. God, you gave me men out of this world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. From the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I come from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. And all and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Now look at this. He says... Holy Father, can everybody please say that with me? Holy Father, keep them in your name. He just called His name and He says, Holy Father. That's what He called God. Holy Father, I have given them your name. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. Holy Father, which you gave me, and I, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished except for the son of perdition, Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So what he's saying is, when you look at the whole entire human race, those whom God chose and gave to Jesus, Jesus revealed to them God's name Holy Father, and He has lost not one of them with the exception of Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition. Isn't it amazing? You've got to think through this. This is so fantastic. God displays His glory by creating the universe. He births humanity, and He chooses from humanity a bride And He gives this bride to His Son, justifies and cleanses her with the Son's blood so that she can be the bride and not one goes missing except for Judas. And the Son's job, Jesus' job, was to reveal His name to those that were given to Him by the Father. And His name is Holy Father. Holy Father. You see, what name did Jesus manifest? It wasn't the name Jehovah. It wasn't the name Yahweh. Why? Because the Jewish people have known that name for 14 centuries already. They were very familiar with that name. God, Jehovah. What was the name that was new and almost unknown to the Old Testament? This name was revealed in the Old Testament three times alone. And that is the name Father. Holy Father. I have manifested that name to the people. So what is a father and why should he be honored? The word father is the word Abba. A-B-B-A. The meaning of this word Abba is author. From which we get the word authority. It's the word source. It's the word root, root. It's the word foundation. When you worship Father, you worship the author of your life. You worship the authority over your life. You worship the source of your life. You worship the root 
that from which your life springs. You worship the foundation upon which your life has been built. Father, Abba, Dad. So when God says to honor your Father, He's calling us to honor our root, our source, our foundation, our author. And that's who we worship when we worship our Father. But I'd like to put feet to thoughts. So let's expand the meaning of honoring and what it means. <clears throat> what does it mean to honor? You see, oftentimes people in our culture today, they think honor and obedience are the same word, is the same meaning or has the same meaning. Parents would say, well, why aren't you doing what I'm telling you to do? You're supposed to honor your parent. You're supposed to honor me, right? <laughs> and they imply you're supposed to do what I tell you. But imagine a 50-year-old man married to a beautiful wife with seven children, um, getting a call from his mother every day, telling him what to do, and he's like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> like, uh, there's some point where you have to honor your parent without having to obey your parent. You can honor them and still make your decisions in life. At some point, you become a parent, right? And so, to honor does not mean to obey. To honor means to respect. To honor means to esteem. To honor means to elevate. To honor means to magnify. To honor means to celebrate. To honor means to brag about that person. To honor means to appreciate that person. To honor means to recognize them for who they are. And, and the whole drive to do away with the patriarchy is to dishonor everything God has called you to honor. It's to overthrow everything God has called you to bow before. Three important questions regarding fatherhood. Actually, let me do four. That I know is not always clear in our minds, and I like to clarify things. The first is, what if a father is not honorable? Uh, do I still have to honor him? Because our culture is ravaged by fatherless homes. Fathers who have, ha who have abandoned their families. and <clears throat> What are their children supposed to do? Do they still have to honor their father? Well, I just explained to you that this difference between obeying and honoring, right? You still have to honor even though you do not have to obey. So yes, this is how God what God has called us to do. But people can't do it. Why? Because they do not understand justice. Let me explain to you what justice is. Justice is not what people today think it is. People today, when they say justice, they mean fairness. You have two cars. You have no car. Therefore, it's only fair that you give her one of your cars. Correct? You live at a certain level of life. You earn a certain amount of money. That lady in the back doesn't earn almost close to what you earn. It's only fair that you share with her what you have. That's fairness. You compare one human with another human. Kids 
always throw their toys out of, you know, out of their playpen because they get angry and they cry because fairness is naturally ingrained into us. We go like, well, I only got one candy and you got two candies and you got to share with me. And it's fairness because they compare one with another. And the Bible says you compare yourself with another and you prove yourselves to be fools. Fairness-minded individuals are foolish individuals. But justice, justice is different. Let me explain to you God's justice. God's justice works this way. The Father will one day stand before God and be judged by the word He received from Scriptures. <coughs> there will be two judgments. You'll first go through the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment, the whole entire world stands before. The whole entire world will stand before the Scriptures at the white throne judgment, and they will be measured, their decisions, the life they've lived, will be measured in comparison to God's plan of salvation. So the, the, the verses you will look at is, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as any man should boast. This is the gift of God. That if anyone confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, they shall be saved. What did you do with that? And at that point, the sheep and the goats will be separated. There's nobody else is going to stand with you. Your pastor's not going to stand there. Your parents aren't going to stand there. Your pope is not going to stand there. Nobody's going to stand there. It's going to be you and what the Bible told you regarding salvation in Christ. Whatever you did, that is going to become the judgment. You're going to either be a sheep or you're going to be a goat, depending upon what you did with that, with that scripture, right? That is called justice. That's why every person who goes to hell will absolutely deserve hell because of justice. In the same way, you will then, uh, let me say this, the goats will go, of course, to where the goats are going. The sheep will go through the next, the next uh, judgment. The next judgment is the Bema seat of Christ, which is called the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, is where all the sheep will go through. Again, they will stand before the Word of God, and everything else about their lives will then be measured them against the Word. Fathers, do not provoke your children. At that point, the father will be measured to that verse. And that child will not be there where the father can go like, yeah, well, you see, we're not in the garden anymore. We're not at the beam of seat of Christ. He's not going to go like, yeah, well, it's that son you gave me. It was such a hard head. Nobody's going to be, well, my wife wasn't helping me. You know, you got no excuse. It's you standing in front of the word that says, fathers, do not provoke your children. You stand before the word that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because if you have children, surely you have a wife, right? So fathers, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. And so the father will be measured to the very word of God. That's the justice of God. I'm saying that because the child will go through the same thing. 
the child will stand before God and be judged at the, at the white throne judgment. And the child will see, okay, what did you do with Jesus? He'll be either a sheep or a goat. His father won't be there. His mother won't be there. His pastor won't be there. Nobody would be there. It's him compared to the word. And if he's a sheep, he will go through to the beamer seat of Christ. <clears throat> and then he'll stand in front of the word. And the word will say, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What did you do? Well, he was kind of a loser. No, 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 no. No, no. It's got nothing to do with him. It's got everything to do with you and that verse. This is justice. Everything else is fairness, folks. Everything else is fairness. Well, that's not fair. He was an absent father. That's fairness. You compare yourselves one with another and you become fools. Justice is, what did I tell you to do? Honor your father and your mother. How did that go for you? If you honored your father and your mother, that work, that honor, will go through the fire and it'll come out as gold and you will receive a crown for it. But if you're dishonorable, everything you've lived for will just burn up and you'll have nothing to show. It'll be embarrassing. You'll go to heaven to be with the father, but you'll have nothing to show for everything you lived, you lived your life for. You see, fairness and justice are two opposites, opposite things. And today, the world, as they do perfectly well, they will always take two terms that don't mean the same thing, and they'll swap the, the, the meanings. They'll revise the meaning of a term. And so now suddenly fairness is, now suddenly fairness is, this, is this virtue because it is viewed as justice. Let me say it this way. You will stand before God and you will never be, you will never be, um, you will never be able to say, God, I disobeyed you in honoring my dad because my dad disobeyed you in being honorable. I, d I couldn't obey you, God, because he was disobedient. I couldn't do what you told me, God, because they wouldn't do what you, what, what, what you told them to do. And isn't that exactly what's happening in the world today? Everybody, everybody else gets the blame for your station in life. Everybody. It's fairness. People's minds have been rotten through with fairness theology. You will never be able to say, I did the wrong thing and justified for it because they did the wrong thing. You can never say, well, God, I, lived, I hated them because they hated me, you know. You see, that's fairness. God says, no, you pray for your enemies. You love them. That's just. Why? Because you will stand before those scriptures one day without an excuse. Does it make sense to you? Fairness is when two people are compared to one another. Justice is when each individual is measured against God's word. The second question, well, that first question is, what if a father is dishonorable? Does he still need to be honored? Yes. Remember, the fatherhood of God designed that position. Even though an unfaithful person fills it, you still honor that position. Number two, how does God transfer a blessing through the position of father? How does God transfer a blessing through the position of father? Proverbs 13, 12 says, A good man 
leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That means a good grandfather leaves an inheritance even to his grandchildren. This is also called what we know as old money. Uh, some countries, especially in Europe, is, uh, they, these are good examples of that. And up there in some of those nations in Switzerland and Netherlands and so forth, you will find that that's, where they are, that's why there are some families who live in castles and they, they have just, just fortunes have been handed down from generation to generation, right? <clears throat> it's old money. And that's a great example as to what God means right here. He says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So a good father, he's building up, and whatever he has, he leaves to his children and his children's children. And they in turn use that, they stand upon this, and they multiply and they build upon it so that they will end up with more that they can leave to their children's children and their children's children generation after generation always ends up with more and that snowball effect causes people many generations later to have so much wealth and that is what the bible shows he says it is generationally transmitted this was god's chosen way of providing wealth to the generations to come. That was God's chosen way. So think about this for a second. I have rights because the American legal system offers me certain rights. Can we agree with that? You have rights. We all have rights. Where do we get those rights from? You know, when you get pulled over, yeah, my, what, what are my rights? <laughs> you know. Uh, when you get arrested, you have rights. We all have rights based on the law. The American legal system offers us these rights. But I'm privileged. Why? Because my parents lived sacrificially in order to offer me an education. They taught me basic decency. They gave me my table manners. They would discipline me if I was disobedient, dishonorable. And I would be in a world of trouble if ever I considered any form of civil disobedience. You all came from families like that. You are privileged with an education because your parents gave you. You are privileged with inheritance because your parents gave you. You are privileged uh, with, with, um, with manners and decency because your parents gave that to you, taught that to you. You are privileged to be a disciplined individual because your parents disciplined you. You are privileged because of the family you came from. So to, do, to determine a person's rights, one has to look at the law of the land. What are my rights? But to determine a person's privilege, one has to look at the family that individual came from. What kind of upbringing did that family afford them? That's clear to me. I've seen many kids extremely, extremely disciplined, 
I've seen kids extremely well-mannered. I've seen kids with a tremendous insight in life. I've seen kids tremendously respectful. I've seen kids tremendously driven to achieve come from very poor families. Like, why don't we know these things? Do you know what I mean? Why don't we know these things? That we can't even have a conversation without convoluting the idea between rights and privileges and thinking now suddenly that privileges were offered to me not from my family but maybe from even the government. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 says the same thing but it shows the inheritance given to a young man not because of a government or anything but because of a family that they came from this is where Paul points to Timothy and he says I see a faith in you and that faith in you came from who your mother and your grandmother look at that second Timothy 1 verse 5 for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I'm sure that is in you as well. You see, many privileges come to the child who is raised by faithful parents. The faithful father is the reason why a child is privileged. He has an inheritance. He inherits a faith. He inherits a mindset. He inherits a set of, a set of uh, uh, um, tools with which he can go through life with. The father is the one who gives that to him. The parent is the avenue through which God allows a child to possess what he needs in order to go through life. How privileged we are that we have families. Number three, what other blessings does God bestow to the honorable, to the honorable Child, Ephesians 6 verse 2 says, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Why? So that it may go well with you. <laughs> so that it may go well with you. Uh, you know, it's so scriptural in every possible way. It is so scriptural in every possible way. It does not go well with the generation who refuses to honor their father. It just does not go well. You can blame whoever you want to. It's your fault. You do not have, you do not have honor for your father, and it's the father's fault. They are, they are gone. They are absent. They are missing. They are rebellious. They, uh, the, then what do you expect other than things not going well? It ought not to go well. Let me read that to you again. It says, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. Then it says, And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That you may enjoy long life on the earth. You see, many people have long life, but they don't enjoy it. Here God, here God promises you the enjoyment of a long life. It will go well with you throughout your long life that you enjoy. Why? Because you honor Father. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how nobody could have thought this up. It has to be 
It has to be the sway of the wicked one that causes all of society to gun at the patriarchy. It's like that has to be overthrown. That is oppressive. How dare you think that you are the one on which everything hangs? How dare you think you are the foundation upon which everything is built? How dare you think that God says you have a position that needs to be honored? No, I need to be honored. <laughs> so the patriarchy is, is really a cuss word today in today's society. It's asked the next question, what about the person who is fatherless? What about the person who is fatherless? I want to read to you out Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Verse 5. Psalm 68, verse 5. The Bible says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. That's who he is. A father to the fatherless. A father to the fatherless. What a privilege we have to have a father in heaven. I just wanted to touch on four questions I know is always in people's minds regarding fathers. But let me finish off by just bringing to you three results from knowing God as Father. Three results from knowing God as Father. Number one, knowing the Father gives you a sense of personal identity. This is so illogical, understandable. All throughout the Bible, you will see how every person is identified by their Father. Have you ever read through these genealogies in the Old Testament? It goes, him, the father of him, him, the father of him, him, the father of him, him, the father of him. And it just goes on. You go like, man, this whole chapter, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to show you, God says, that you get your identity not from your mother. You get your identity from your father. And if there's a fatherless home, those children will suffer. They will struggle to find identity. And what they will do is they will start grabbing at other things to get an identity for themselves. Why do they need an identity? Because it is identity that offers you security. Even in our English language today, people are known by their last names, which they get from their father, not their mother. So your father gives you your name, your identity. Number two, the, th the second result from knowing God as father is that God gives you a home in heaven. God gives you a home in heaven. As I grew up, I always thought of heaven as a destination. I'm going to one day get there. I always saw heaven as a future hope that I can have. To me, really, when I was young, heaven was just me not having to go to hell, to be honest. It's like, oh, anything but hell is heaven, you know. But never thought, never did I think that heaven was my home, was home to me. The Bible actually says that God has planted eternity in your hearts. You will never feel more at home than when you get to heaven. Heaven is home to you. You see, what makes a home your home, let me say it again. What makes a home your home is your father. He's the one that says, this is now your home. And when a father says, I am now making this home your home, that's when 
home becomes home. You find security. That's when you find stability. That's when you find the affirmation that you will now be part of this family, that you are now protected and provided for by this Father. All of this is found when you find home. I love when I read this about Derek Prince. Derek Prince is a minister who's now gone to be with the Lord. But um, his second wife, his first wife, he had 30 years. She passed away. Then he married again. And Derek Prince had said to her, Ruth, her name was Ruth. He said to her, um, he's so in love with his home in heaven. He's so in love with that concept. And he's so eager to be at home. He said on his gravestone, he wants two words. That's all, which today exists two words on his gravestone. Gone home. Just those two words. Because he knew his father. He knew his father. You see, you have a home. You are not astray. You're not a castaway. You're not an orphan. You have a home. Why? Because you have a father. Finally, Andre, do you mind turning this air not, not so cold, a little warmer? Finally, the third result from knowing God as father is that God gives you total security. John 10, 29 says, My father, who has given them to me, once again, here Jesus is saying, God, you have given this bride to me. You, God, you are greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Nobody can snatch them. You who have been given to God, nobody can snatch you out of God's hand. He's Father. He protects. He knows who is His. Nobody can take you and snatch you out of God's hand as He hands you to Christ. You know, like that picture of a, of a, of a wedding when the father hands the bride to, his, to her bridegroom. The moment the father hands her over. This is the picture right here. God, no one can take her out of your hand as you hand her to me. I have lost no one, he says, except for Judas that son of perdition that needed to exist in order to fulfill God's purpose. Except for him, nobody, nobody else. I mean, do you see the security? Do you find the security in this, Father? Do you find how secure it is? Let me tell you, let me say it to you this way. If you couldn't save yourself, what makes you think you can keep yourself saved? If you could not save yourself, why do you think you can keep yourself saved? You can't. Actually, it's a better way of saying it is this way. It's like if I could lose my salvation, if I could, trust me, I would. And I would have already had lost it. Who do you think you are? <laughs> to think that, man, I'm going to make this thing great. <laughs> 
I'm going to perfect this salvation that he started with me. I will perfect it. No, you're not. He will. And nobody and nothing can snatch you from that father's hand as he takes you and he hands you on that wedding day to his son. And so fulfills the very purpose of all things. Amen. Amen.